Being a father is easy. It's being a dad that's the hard part, isn't it? Dads, we honor you today. We thank you for your faithfulness, your love for us, for your generosity of time and your generosity of self. It'd be a whole lot easier to just be a father and walk away. Thank you for not doing that. Let me speak for a moment to those of you who didn't have to. Those of you who married a lady that already had children, those are not yours, but yet they are. I'm the product of one of those. I was five when my, my dad married my mom. And you know what? I'm not over it yet. That's 50 years ago this month. And friends, I want to tell you, he's more my dad than I can ever imagine anyone else ever being. So thank you, dads. We honor you today. Would you please stand and let us honor you? Dads, please stand. Thank you, my friends. Thank you. I'll spare you the dad jokes since Nathan took care of that for me, all right? We, <laughs> amen, somebody said. We're grateful for the encouragement. I bring you greetings from our Southern Baptist Convention in New Orleans while we were away. It was a joy to see old friends from across the country and to renew fellowships from other pastors and other churches. Uh, we send greetings to you today from lots of places that stopped me and said, Darren, you serve a special church. And I told them, don't I know it. I want to invite you today to put something on your calendar. Go ahead and jot it down. July 9th, three weeks from today, we're going to hold another family meeting to talk about what happened this week in the Southern Baptist Convention. It'll be during the Sunday school hour. Now, I know that's not terribly convenient, but that's why we're giving you three weeks' notice to consider what you'll do. If you choose not to come, no worries. We'll be recording it, and we'll hand it off to you at a later time. You will get the notes. We'll be providing a handout that day to let you know uh, our thoughts. This time will be different, though. I'm inviting those who joined me on this adventure uh, to join me on the platform and talk with you about our experiences, our thoughts, our considerations. We will not be bringing any recommendations, so you can just draw an easy breath right there. There won't be any sudden changes, nothing like that. But it is time for us to catch you up to where we've been over the last week. I also want to set the record straight on one thing. Some of you reached out to me, and I'm grateful you did, about something that I posted online, and I stand by that. Now, what I posted online was a conversation that I meant for our church family to read and understand about one of the things that we passed this week. We decided as a convention uh, that, that the role of pastor, we'll hold on to the definition of that for a second, is uniquely for men. Now, friends, I don't know any woman that wants my job, okay? Let's just start there. And I've tried to give it to a few of them, and they wouldn't take it including those on our own staff. I even offered to still preach on Sundays, and y'all do everything else, and they wouldn't take that either. But friends, that's already in our Baptist faith and message, our doctrinal statement. What's different this time is how they define the word pastor. They mean to expand it to mean any lady in a senior leadership role. So the ladies that serve in our church, 
that serve us so well in so many areas, they would be relegated to second-tier status under this new amendment, and that's why I wrote it. I want to be clear with you, friends. I'm not advocating that we change what we've always practiced as a church, not advocating we ordain women or give them my job. We're rather trying to hold what we have, and that's not where the SBC is headed. So understand that's why I wrote what I wrote. If you want to have a further conversation about it, reach out to me and let's talk. The last thing I want you to do is misunderstand my heart, but it is a tenuous moment, friends. Uh, we'll talk more about that on July 9th. We came not to talk about that. We came to talk about Zechariah. Now, normally when we see this story, it's Christmas time. And what's wrong with that? You know, this story is a forerunner to Christmas. About six months before the time of Christ, about six months before Mary found out she was expecting, our friend Elizabeth and Zechariah find themselves at the temple. Oh, friends, let's be clear. This is not an easy moment for them. Let's talk about Zechariah because he is a key figure. We don't talk about him very often, and that's a shame. But when I think about godly fathers, when I think about godly leaders in the, the Bible, I think about Zechariah early in that conversation. I want you to take your Bible back to where Mike read from us, from, for us just a moment ago, to Luke chapter 1. And I want you to go with me to verse 5, and there you'll see Zechariah, a godly father, trusting God's timing. Now, when the story opens in verse 5, we see it's the days of Herod. He's king of Judah, as he was when Jesus was born. And there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Friends, let's be clear. Like a wise father, Zechariah was a spiritual leader before he knew he needed to be. I want you to, to see him perhaps in a new way and recognize that he is one who is gifted with a godly heritage. A godly heritage, friends, is a gift from the Lord. Getting our children off to a good start, those blessings that have come into our home, no matter how they might have arrived, whether through natural birth or through adoption or through a step relationship, friends, they are a gift to us, and we can set them on the right path. A godly heritage. We can point them down the right path, just like Zechariah did. He got started well by his parents. We don't know who his parents were. All we know is that he comes from a division of priests. He was one who invested himself spiritually with the idea that he would pass that along. Not only that, Zechariah married well. This is a wonderful gift. She, too, was a descendant of Aaron, the brother of Moses, and she, too, was one who received the gift of, of goodness. She was a descendant of Aaron, and they together were going to create a family of priests, no doubt. But notice it at the end of verse 7. The real problem, childlessness, an insurmountable problem in the first century. 
Let's say that you're having trouble conceiving on your own now. You have lots of options. You can go to see our friend, Dr. Madden, and there's all kinds of things that he can do to help you along the way in that path. But the concept of infertility in the first century was a painful one as it was viewed as God's judgment on you. Well, you must be too broken and too wicked to to be parents. So we're going to presume the worst about you and about your heritage. And we are going to presume that God's judgment is fallen upon you. You can see, friends, why I say it was a difficult time. Some of you know that pain today. You've asked God for that over and over again, and God hasn't answered it. It certainly isn't that you, like they, didn't want a child, but perhaps God's timing is not yet there. They had presumed, based on the end of verse 7, that that season had passed. Do you see it there? They were both advanced in years. Now, we don't know exactly how old that is. After all, most of the marriages in the first century were brought together when they were teenagers. So the idea of being 30-ish and childless was unheard of in that culture in that time. But in God's glory and in God's timing, God had another plan. Friends, I want, want, I want you to see this. Just because Zechariah was disappointed with God, he didn't stop serving God. Just because he was disappointed with God's direction, didn't mean that he withheld his service. Like a wise father, Zechariah prioritized service to the Lord. Verse 8, I want you to see this. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Let's talk about the practice of priesthood for a minute. It's a little bit different than the way we do things now. Now, we elect somebody, we raise them up, and we declare that they are our spiritual leader. And I'm grateful for that practice. But in those days, you had to be born of a certain heritage, born of a right lineage, raised in a right way. And even then, that wasn't enough. It could be your turn, but you not get chosen by a lot. And you would never have the blessed privilege of a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity of burning incense in the temple. Could it be that God had something in mind for our friend Zechariah that day? Could it be that God was calling the qualified? He was stepping out and calling Zechariah to himself and saying, Zechariah, the time is right. Have you ever looked at the Lord, and I mean this sincerely, and wondered about his timing? Now, if you haven't, then maybe you haven't walked far enough with the Lord yet. But I would dare say all of us have done that and said, hey, God, have you noticed what time it is? Because it's getting kind of late. Could you move things along here, Lord? Really, I need you to take another step because people are getting old. My clothes are going out of style, Lord. Could you hurry things up? But I want you to see how God called the qualified at just the right time. Here's one thing I want you to take home with you, and I want you to take this and store it away in your heart for a time when you're wondering about God's timing. God is always on time. 
He may not be on your schedule, but always on his glory. God is always on time. Now, what was happening outside while Zechariah was inside? The people prayed. Friends, I want to invite you to join me in prayer. Not necessarily right this minute, but as a season. I asked you to do that for us for the first 15 days of this month. Now that you've gotten that habit of 10, 2, and 4, having a prayer time, I hope you'll keep going with it, for there's lots of things to pray for. Now, if you want to have a Dr. Pepper with it at that same time, that's okay, too. But if you don't want to, that's okay. You don't have to. You can miss that blessing and still pray. But I want you to see that praying invites participation. We think of prayer as a very passive thing. I want you to see it as something active, engaging with God and letting him speak plainly into your heart and mind. The people prayed. You might say, well, Zechariah is doing the heavy lifting, and maybe that's so, but could it be that prayer is just as important? The people prayed. Just like in the day of Pentecost, there's a powerful element to asking God to move and surrendering ourselves to it. The people prayed, and Peter was released from prison. The book of Acts tells the story of when the prayer meeting was being held for Peter's release, and God answered that prayer, and Peter showed up at the door where the prayer meeting was being held, knocking to be let in, and the people said, we can't be interrupted, we're praying for Peter's release. Friends, I want to tell you, sometimes our prayers are answered in ways that we didn't expect. Like a wise child, Zechariah knows when to listen. Section my friend Mike read to you is when the angel appears. He shows up with a message that could have been from Mars as far as Zechariah was concerned. Now, Lord, in my old age, you're going to give me a son? And not only going to give me a son, but this is the one that will bring the spirit of Elijah, the one that was prophesied by the prophet Isaiah some 700 years earlier, the one who's going to take a Nazarite vow, that's verse 14, the one who will take the opportunity to step out and call people to repentance. I want you to see in this section, a fulfilled plan for God's glory. Have you ever noticed how things look much clearer in the rearview mirror than they did out the windshield? This is exactly, exactly how Zechariah must have felt. Lord, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you, but have you ever said that? Yeah, I think all of us have. That's what made this next section so vital. Like every human, Zechariah made a mistake. I want you to see it starting in verse 18. It's not that he didn't believe in God's glory. It's certainly not that he didn't believe in God's power. It's certainly not that he didn't believe in God's plan. He just didn't really understand that he was such a vital part of that. Stop me if you've heard this before. God has forgotten me. God doesn't have a plan for me. The 
vision and dreams that I had for my own life, God isn't answering. God has set me aside. Or worse yet, the lies of Satan whispered into our hearts and minds, God's mad at you. This is your punishment for what you've done. God said he was gonna strike down those who were wicked and here it is. This is God's judgment on you. Now I'm not going to tell you that God doesn't use circumstances to discipline his children, that would be false. But don't you dare let Satan tell you God has forgotten you, that he doesn't love you, that he doesn't want you, that he's not still the perfect father. Friends, today, I want you to embrace the notion that God, as father, not only knows the right time, but has your best interests at heart. Lean into that today, friends. Lean into it. Zechariah in verse 18 shows his humanity. How shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. He's giving him logical reasons that the supernatural power can't be accurate. You ever tried that with God? I have. God, here's why I'm right and you're wrong. Let me show you in logical proof how you need to do it my way. Now, some of you, I hope, are laughing because you realize how silly that is. I hope it's not because you know what a knucklehead I am. Maybe it's both. But let's be clear, friends. When we tell God who he is, and that's what Zechariah is, that's what he's doing. He's telling God who God is. God, you can't do this because you've waited too long. Can you see the indictment here? God, you can't do this because you didn't do it on time. God, you can't answer this prayer because it's been too many days since I prayed it. I want you to see this, friends. This is an indictment on God and his character. Let's learn from this mistake. Here's what I want you to write down, though. Isn't it nice to know that we're not the only ones who make those mistakes? We have this idea that the people in the Bible are perfect, that they never erred, they never stubbed their toes, spiritually speaking. Here in verse 18, we have an example of someone doing exactly that. And I want you to see, did God strike him dead? No. Now, God did let him have a little bit of time to cool his heels, but he didn't strike him dead. Our God is big enough to handle your question of why. Let's hang on to that, because Zechariah asks a question, and it's a valid one, at least in human terms, and yet it doesn't leave room for God. If we start the sentence with, I think, and end it with, but God, we're much better off. Gabriel responds with, but God. Verse 19, the angel answered, I'm Gabriel. By the way, one of the only times we have an angel identified by name in the pages of Scripture. Some of you have asked where in the word of God is a name of Gabriel. Here it is. 
I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. In other words, it's going to happen whether you think so or not. But now, verse 20, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you didn't believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Here's the thing about it. Zechariah is going to get a chance to play the quiet game. Do you remember the quiet game? I was terrible at it. Some of you are like, you still are, Darren. It's all right. <laughs> Haven't gotten over it yet. Probably not likely to either. Every time Zechariah went to say something, he was reminded, friends, of that day in the temple. He was reminded how God showed up with a crazy promise at a crazy time and a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And how God stepped in and said, you think your life is defined by this, but I'm about to knock the walls down. I'm about to flex my muscles and show you who I really am. His silence spoke volumes. It wasn't just that he couldn't speak. It was that what he might want to say had to wait. He wrote down what it is that had happened to him. And can you imagine the looks on their faces when he came out and said, you're not going to believe what happened to me inside there. Indeed, they didn't. But I want you to see this last piece and what this will close. Like a wise father, son, and child of God, Zechariah obeyed. The people were waiting for Zechariah. They are wondering about the delay in, his in the temple. When he came out, he was unable to speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. When the time of his service was ended, he went home. Not only did he go home, he was with his wife. And together, for the first time, they conceived. Can I tell you today, my friends, and this is good news, understanding God's plan is not required. When you are willing to let God be who he is and you remain who you are, then an amazing transformation takes place. His plan unfolds whether you see it or not. I want you to think back Think back to turning points in your life where you went this way instead of that or you went up instead of down. You, you, you made this decision instead of that one. And I want you to think back. Look back and ask yourself, can I see God's hand in that? You may or may not have understood it. But friends, if you can see God's hand in it, in the rearview mirror, then understand that he wants you to trust him out the windshield too. He invites you to trust him in the future. Why? Because you've already seen that he's been faithful to you in the past. Let me say that one more time. God wants you to trust him in the future because he's already proved his faithfulness in your past. And because he's been faithful before, he'll be faithful again. He can't not be faithful. That's really lousy grammar, but it's good theology. 
He can't not be faithful. That's just who he is. So when you're faced like Zechariah with an insurmountable problem, when you are caught between the questions that you have and the hopes and dreams that haven't been fulfilled, then I want you to take it to the Lord and say, I don't understand what you're doing, Lord, but thank you that I don't have to. All I have to do is trust you. Trusting God invites me into God's plan. <laughs> so let's jump ahead to the end of the story. We won't take time to read it this morning. What happens? Well, Elizabeth is pregnant. She finds herself giving birth to John the Baptist, the cousin to Jesus. When Mary comes to see her, John is so excited about it, even in the womb, he jumps and gets thrilled about what's happening in the future. Can I tell you today, my friends, this, this celebration that sets off because Zechariah was obedient is something that we can rejoice in. Now, here's the alternative question. What if Zechariah had said no? What if Zechariah had decided it's too late? God's wrong. God would have still accomplished his plans. He still would have. He would have done it another way. But Zechariah would have missed the blessing. Zechariah would have missed the opportunity to be engaged in God's plan. Zechariah would have missed out. I want you, friends, to not make that mistake. Now, you are sitting here on Father's Day, and you're saying to yourself, what then does this mean for me? Well, let's take the example of Zechariah and apply it to the 21st century. One, Jesus is enough. You might say, but Darren, Jesus isn't in this passage. He's all over it. This whole thing happened because of Jesus, just like your life. Jesus created you. He crafted you. He formed you. He made you in his image, and now he invites you to himself. Jesus is enough. Maybe you've never encountered Jesus in a personal way, always from a distance. Today is your day, friend, where you can say yes to Jesus. You can do it right here and right now. It's not hard to do, but it's anything but easy. Getting started means calling out to Jesus. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus came to save you and confess him as Lord. That's really all there is to getting started. The next part is the hard part, surrendering. Today, maybe you need to surrender to the Lord. Maybe you've already done that, but you've never really surrendered. You've just held on. You've wanted Jesus and, well, today Jesus invites you to let go of the and and just find him to be enough. Maybe you've done that and you're in the middle of a trial or you know someone who is. And today is a good day to bring it and lay it at the feet of Jesus to declare him king over that too, and to lay your fear down as well. Friends, today you can do that. We're going to take a moment to do an invitation, but a little bit different this time, all right? 
I'm going to let it be silent because here's what we're going to do in a moment. As you can see, the Lord's Supper is set. Our deacons are ready to serve it to you. The Bible is clear. Don't partake of the Lord's Supper inadequately, spiritually. We're going to give you time to make things right. Is there sin you need to confess in your own heart? Are there things you need to get right with someone else? Is there something that God is prodding you with and saying, this is something I want you to change? Before we take the Lord's Supper, we're going to give you a time to respond to that. Now, if one of those others is true for you, then here's what I want you to do. After this service, I'll be waiting for you right out here. Come see me. Let's talk. We have a brand new First Connect room over here that is designed for the opportunity to help you connect with Christ. This is your day for that. Let's pray together. I know, Jesus, how difficult it is to trust you. It's not difficult because we don't believe you're good or because we don't believe you're faithful. It's difficult because our humanity and the independent spirit we have longs to take your place. Today, Jesus, we, your people, declare our desire to trust you in a whole new way. And so right now in the quiet of this moment, Lord, would you hear our prayer of confession and forgiveness and a desire for renewal? In the quiet of this moment, Lord, would you do that in each of our lives?